there is a war between the rich and poor, a war between the man and the woman. There is a war between the ones who say there is a war and the ones who say that there isn't. Why don't you come on back to the war? That's right, get in it. Welcome, everyone. This is our fifth edition of Prosperity Marxism with Michael Pelia speaking and my co-host Peter Bratzis to my left. And we're very proud today and very elated to have our old friend Heather Gottney uh, as a guest. Uh, Heather is the senior policy advisor for the Bernie Sanders campaign, has been working with Bernie Sanders, the best of my knowledge, for close to five or six years now, I think maybe even longer. Yeah, right? Yeah. Even more. Eight, uh, eight yeah. years, excuse me. Yeah. She's also <laughs> moonlights as a well, her real job. Her real job is really Bernie Sanders, but her other job is associate professor at Fordham University uh, in uh, sociology and, and political theory, right? Okay. Yeah. And uh, her most recent book, book, and I'll hold it up, is called Crashing the Party by Heather Gottney, from the Bernie Sanders campaign to a progressive movement, which we are, it has a very prophetic title. We are now in the prophetic uh, and, and prophetic and progressive movement uh, that Heather uh, anticipates so brilliantly in this book. So um, I recommend you getting it. It's from Verso Publishers and a good forward by the uh, well-known political theorist Adolph Reed Jr. And um, we were lucky enough to hear her on a panel on her book with Cornell West and Adolph Reed Jr. a number of years ago at BMCC. A year ago. So, yeah, a year ago, right? Yeah, about a year Not ago. Not even a That's year. That's right. That's right. And we had good Mexican food afterwards, I remember. <laughs> okay, good. So uh, we're going to talk today about the uh, Sanders campaign with Heather. Um, it certainly has captured the imagination of both the liberal left and uh, the progressive left and what I would even call the extreme left at this point, or the radical left, if you will. And uh, I'd like to begin with um, 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 maybe uh, Heather giving us an overview of the chances that we're looking at for him to really actually win the Democratic Party nomination, given the fact that he's ahead in the polls, but we all know the specter of these, uh, you know, superdelegates at the convention and that he probably won't have a majority by the time the convention comes around. So maybe we can start there with a very practical question on the elective, uh, election process, right? And nomination yeah. process. So, yeah. So as far as the, I mean, the mentality of the campaign is, you know, one day at a time. Right. So if you're in this campaign, you're really thinking about what you're doing in the next two hours. Right. You're not really you're not really thinking like, oh, how are we going to you know, make our way through this maze and win? We all want to win. We all plan on winning. We have people who are strategizing with delegates and all of that. But the but the mood of the campaign is we're just keeping our head down and working. And I would say that's the mood of the senator. Um, but. In terms of how I think we're going to win, um, you know, there's sort of two parallel pieces of it. The the first is what we're doing on the ground, right? We have been organizing volunteers, and you know, millions. I think we're over a million people have signed up to be part of this campaign, um, and 
That is something that we, and I know the senator in particular, are very proud of because the goal has always been to engage more people in the political process who you know, generally just sit by the sidelines and don't engage at all. And there's all these different layers of engagement, you know, from canvassing and all that to making phone calls, even texting, um, just different layers of support. We also, as is well known, have um, millions of, of small, you know, donation donors. So propelling the campaign and financing the campaign is very, you know, uh, just large numbers of people. And in that respect, you know, we, we don't see this. I think it's something like 98% of our donors can donate again. And each kind of pivotal moment after a state or a debate, we end up getting more and more new donors. So, you know, you have a, a formula where we don't, the influx of money to, to subsidize the campaign doesn't seem like it's going to run out. And a lot of the other candidates are relying on big money donors. You know, they'll dry up and then they'll have to go to super PACs, which is, I, I got word that Elizabeth Warren was, has some super PAC who's interested in her now. So we will never, ever do that. Um, but we're in such a, in remarkable situation in terms of being able to have the money to make it through to the convention um, and a, a lot of other uh, candidates don't have that. Um, so we have movement, we have donors, you know, small donors. And then I think in terms of from state to state, you know, in Iowa, I mean, we, we've called for a recanvas and we really think we're gonna win Iowa. We did well in New Hampshire. I think that we thought we were gonna turn more people out and do better in New Hampshire, but we're happy to have won New Hampshire. Um, there were other candidates in there who, you know, whose states are neighboring to New Hampshire too, and, and we won. Um, in Nevada, there has been an enormous amount of outreach to um, the Latinx population in Nevada, and we have a we have people who have spoke focused very specifically on that population, and we're doing really well. Um, especially with young people and young people tend to have a lot of impact on their parents. Um, so in that community, so I think in Nevada, despite some of the stuff that's been going on with the culinary union and, and all the negativity swirling around that, we think we're going to do really well in Nevada. I have been on the ground in, um, on and off on the ground in South Carolina for a year now. Um, and have watched the sort of tempo of of what's going on there. And at the very beginning, that was Biden's firewall, right? No question about it. Biden was above us, I don't know, 20 to 30 points. The dynamics have changed a lot. We've done an enormous amount of work on the ground, you know, church services, breakfasts, traveling into rural parts of South Carolina, meeting with teachers and, you know, every kind of population that you can imagine and really doing heavy outreach. Um, and now we're seeing a real narrowing of the polling in South Carolina. And a lot of that is owing to the fact that Sanders is, is appealing 
to black communities and um, and the Latinx community. And of course, you know, 60% of the Democratic Party electorate in South Carolina is African-American. So we have really started to um, edge, you know, to, to, to take off, you know, or to, to, to uh, eat into um, Biden's lead with that community. And then, to be honest, the presence of Steyer down there has been significant, too, in breaking into Biden. In North Carolina, we did really well last time. In North Carolina, I've been doing a lot of campaigning there, too. And so we expect that we'll have a good showing. And then, of course, the campaign has put enormous resources into California. So, so past that, you know, it's hard to you know, see what's going on in some states is Bernie's always had appeal, but, you know, for us, and I can, I think I can speak for other campaigns that you really can see only as far as super Tuesday, instead of what's, what the dynamics are with the electorate and the polling. But we, I believe that we're in the middle of a surge. And, and I think that, um, we've sort of done all the right things in terms of trying to reach out to people and be on the ground listen, create policies that are, you know, really ahead of the game in terms of their progressiveness. Um, and so I think we have sort of all of the, all of the ingredients. Um, and then of course we have a candidate who's right. You know, we have, you know, a, a, the, the one person in the race who has solid social democratic values, who really is fight, re- fighting for the working class. Um, nobody else has really been doing that for so long. Um, and his consistency and honesty, you know, those are the things I think that people are looking for right now. And, um, and, uh, he just, you know, people sort of accuse him of being a broken record, but when you, when you're that consistent, it breeds trust. And, um, so I think that's a big asset too, is, is the sort of political career, of the candidate and his consistency and dedication to the work, you know, politics that, uh, that represent the interests of working class people. Um, excellent beginning. Do you want to say something, Peter? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, yeah. one of yeah. the yeah. Uh, stories of the last week or two is how uh, black voters are turning out, uh, are shifting more and more to Bernie. Right. And, you know, and that's right. been true for a while, of course, in terms of uh, minority voters and and women voters as well. But nonetheless, the, the myth of the Bernie bro seems to still exist. And, you know, uh, as you know, the last week or two, there are all these attacks against Bernie that he's not doing enough to control his supporters and his supporters are uh, not very well-mannered and civil online. Uh, some yeah. people even calling him violent, They're, you know, online violence. Or, I mean, uh, do you see that as a serious issue or, or might it be a kind of anti-Semitic trope about the kind of argumentative, you know, uh, uh, Jewish or ethnic people against the kind of waspish uh, uh, detachment and, and civility? I think there's two things there. I think that the um, the caricature of Bernie as yelling all the time, I heard, saw that on Morning Joe this morning, and apparently Elizabeth Warren today said something about that she has more of the um, poise to be president, and you know that was a not so you know veiled um, swipe at at Sanders. Um, so I do think that that 
you know, is extremely problematic in the way that they caricature him. Joy Reid called in a body expert one after, I mean, you know, this is like, what are they going to measure his skull next? You know, it's really very offensive, I think. Um, so that's one piece of it. I, In terms of the Bernie bros, you know, the, I mean, first and foremost, the, the, there are, I don't know, 60, 70%, I think, of the campaign leadership are women and women, uh, you know, many of them women of color. So in terms of the team that he's built, it's a very diverse team. Um, So that's a mythology on that level. In terms of what goes on online, I think that he's been really clear in his defense that, you know, yeah, you're going to have, you know, a small number of people on Twitter or whatever who are going to let it fly and who don't represent him or don't represent his values. And then you have the masses of people who are following him who are, you know, interested, who have very progressive, like, you know, he, he uses the the word love and Cornell West uses the language of, he calls us the love train, you know, who are really oriented in in that way, right? Who are looking for, you know, a foreign policy that's driven by, you know, diplomacy and peace and, you know, looking for a more empathetic society and, you know, more, more community driven society. And I mean, so, so it's just way off base. And, and quite frankly, I think that it's a, it shows a desperation because the thing about, the thing about Bernie is that he, he has been vetted and there's so little there because he's yeah. just such a straight up guy there are no um, that, that they have to resort to the people around him or the people who he doesn't even know to demonize him. Um, the other point that I'll say about that, that he, that he has brought up in the debates is he said to the other candidates and to the interviewers, Hey, look at the, why don't you talk to some of the women, especially the women of color on my campaign and his wife, about how vicious people can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you a woman who I work very closely with, Senator Nina Turner, has been attacked horribly. Bernie's wife has been attacked horribly. Right. I did a tweet on student loan forgiveness, and I had all these Make America Great Again people yeah. all over me, okay, to the point it was trending, right, right. but in a bad way. So, you know, this is sort of in part the nature of the Internet, but it's also, you know, it works both ways. And they fail to the people who are asking those questions are failing to acknowledge how how that negatively impacts the senator and the people around him, too. And, you know, we have been red baited. I mean, the the Wall Street Journal editorial board wrote a story about all Bernie's socialists and named myself and other people. I mean, you know, what what effect is that supposed to have, right? But we don't talk about those as attacks. It's like somehow that's factual reporting. So I think there's a huge double standard, um, but I also think, which which is at one level, but I think the, the caricaturing of, of the senator is extremely offensive and that's coming from liberal circles. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how um, I, I just wanna, uh, you know, uh, extend that a little bit. Um, how is the campaign um, preparing itself 
for obviously more and more extreme assaults like this as he gets closer and closer <laughs> to a you know really significant delegate count going into the convention i mean assuming that you know the polls are you know somewhat accurate that he after super tuesday will be clearly the front runner by far yeah. you know yeah. and uh how how is the campaign really preparing itself for this uh are there going to be any position papers policy papers website addresses talk about this you know on the on the national media uh etc you know uh, do you mean in terms of the way that the sort of online attacking kind of stuff or that as well as the attacks that are coming against what you call the the double standard of the character treasuring of the of the senator you know it seems yeah. like you're you you think you're seeing things like being called being red baited now yeah. i think it's going to go up uh, astronomically i see yeah yeah as, as we go I mean, forward not so much the the social media that's to be expected where this is america yeah, right you know? this is <laughs> so, a different yeah, thing yeah, because yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. because it's scare tactics and right, demonizing right, people right. For their right. political beliefs right. um, and histories, right. I mean, you know, at this point, I, you know, I, I don't think that there is a real plan. Okay. Um, the the defense of the senator is pretty clear, and he is a loyal to his people, um, and I don't think there's anybody in his circles myself included, who espouse positions that are, you know, more left than his. So if he's going to be the target, I think everybody else is, um, you know, probably pretty safe in terms of the, the kind of red baiting that that is to be expected. Um, but I think it's really just a matter of holding our ground. I mean, this is these attacks are about undermining the a, a potential a person who is going to empower working class people and who's, who's helping to, you know, foster real movement. And that must be really frightening, especially for people, you know, who, who are, who are in positions of political and economic power. So, you know, when you do that, I mean, what's the Martin Luther King you know, uh, saying, right? Power seeds nothing without a fight. That that was King, right? Actually, it was uh, Frederick Douglass of the uh, uh, previous Douglas. century, oh, but it was repeated by King. It's, hey, it's all right. Hey. Okay, yeah, okay, <laughs> no problem. But you know that I mean that's yeah, yeah. what we're yeah, that's what we're facing, yeah. and you yeah. know there isn't really a way to spin it. Uh, I mean, yeah, we we stand by the candidate. We're proud of his political history. Mm -hmm. um, there's. Uh, I mean, he's definitely veered more toward the center than he was when he was a young man, like a lot of people. Um, so, you know, but I don't think that he has anything to hide. And I don't think anybody in our campaign has anything to hide either. Right. Um, so, you know, we're just going to have to weather those storms and stick together. And we have the power, you know, and that's uh, that's what that's what I think is we just have to keep, remind ourselves that this is the one of the. Um, the 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 sort of benefits I guess of of winning, you know, as people are going to try to take you down. Right. I mean, Heather, on the, on this question of red baiting, it seems to me that there's a certain contradiction in uh, the discourse because on the one hand, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders calls himself a democratic socialist, 
and is part of that tradition. And on the other hand, he says, look, the things that we're calling for are not that radical. You yeah. Know, healthcare yeah. for all is not that radical. You know, tuition uh, free universities is not that radical. We've had it in the past. I mean, even the, of course, you know, in the United States, there have been, of course, many in the past uh, free universities and almost yeah. every other industrialized Both country. Both of you in the world. wouldn't have uh, student debt if we had gone back yes, to CUNY in the seventies. That's, that's, <laughs> right? yeah. that's true. Yeah. That's true. I mean, yeah. so I mean, I mean why, why have why insist on the democratic socialist label if, in fact, the policies being called for are very middle of the road we are all that yeah extreme. yeah and i, I right. want to if you went, and I, if you and went I to europe up on that rhetorically for a second uh since peter brought this up i mean it seems to me by the label of socialist and socialism that this has a tendency to deflect what he's really about in terms of yeah. the way you paint him earlier as honest really giving working people a chance, et cetera. It seems to me that what we're really dealing with here is a great new deal, you know, our kind yes. of new, 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 new deal that maybe would have been much more palpable to the American, you know, voting public in, in some ways. Right. But, you know, so he's been labeled this, right, in, in some ways. And, uh, you know, and Bloomberg, well, he, as you saw in the Nevada, um, the Nevada, the yeah, yeah, the Nevada called him a communist. All our right, communist yeah. friends happen. get very what, upset by what's that? that. All our communist friends get yeah, very all, upset Yeah, you know, yeah. as you yeah. can imagine, on you know, yeah. this show, Prosperity Marxism, with the calls we got about this. But anyway, <laughs> what's wrong I mean, with I'll, that? I'll say this. Yeah. When, when the senator yeah, was sure. younger, right. he, and they call him that, a self-avowed socialist, right? He okay. that, yeah. was the, that was the, the label that, right. that he, you know, that he felt fit. And back in the days of when he was mayor before he was part of the, I think it was the Liberty Party and um, what is it? Liber was it Liberty peace Union? I don't remember. But anyway, and yeah. what's up? Was it Peace and Freedom Party? No, it was no, he Liberty. didn't go that far. Okay, yeah, yeah. Anyway, in, in Vermont, he did say things about nationalizing industries and stuff like that, and you know, was very interested in Eugene Debs, and um, but you know. The the policy platform right now, as you point out, is very much, um, you know, bringing back the FDR style New Deal, um, you know, a, a, a foreign policy that's driven by the needs of working class people around the world and, you know, not by heads of state and, you know, multinational corporations. And, um, and you know, I think that this this label of democratic socialist was something that he that he called himself a long time ago and instead of running away from it you know as if that's some right. horrible thing right. he's mm -hmm. chose to say mm -hmm. you know what yeah that's right that's what i called myself back then and that is what i am but this is what i mean by it right. and right. so i think in terms of you know, intellectual kind of categories, then no, he's, you know, he's not a socialist. And in many ways, he's more of a social democrat and a European style. You know, he talks about that a lot, right? right? If, you know, we were in Sweden or whatever. Scandinavian socialism in particular. Exactly. You know, in pieces, even he yeah. talks about Germany and the education system there, the higher education is right. free. And so, you know, it's a hybrid of different things, but it, it's definitely not you know, socialism in the classic sense, right? Um, but I think that, 
I agree that people use that against him, um, but I don't think he's going to be intimidated by that um, and and kind of buy in to the demonization of of that of that political identity. Uh, let me ask you, Heather, about the Medicare for All uh, 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 proposal, because uh, it seems that there is a lot of kickback on the one hand from people who are already on Medicare and who think it might dilute their benefits. Uh, yeah. As well as from, from uh, uh, many pundits who think it would be so expensive, astronomically expensive, that it's an impossibility. And it yeah. seems that on both counts there are very obvious and clear uh, reasons why those interpretations are wrong. And what, what do you think has to happen for people to understand better? that the people already on, well, on, on, on Medicare would be much better off with, the, with a, a broadened program where they would have additional uh, coverage. And of course, it would be, by, by most measures, uh, a cost-saving policy rather than one that costs more money. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a public relations issue, quite frankly, because when you talk to people about do they love their insurance company? You talk to people on Medicare. My mother was on Medicare before she passed away and she got subpar treatment. You know, it was, right. it was I mean, thank goodness for Medicare, but right. you know, she, she could have gotten a better treatment. Um, the, you know, and also the issue of out-of-pocket expenses and, you know, people in states where there isn't Medicaid expansion and, you know, I think if you go around and talk to Americans about the healthcare system, they have personal experiences about how broken it is. Right. Um, but, but this, this propaganda um, assault against this, especially in the you know sort of austerity politics, we can't afford it type of thing, um, that is the bigger sort of mountain to climb. And we have seen two studies recently come out this week, one of them in The Lancet, you know, the widely respected medical journal by a team of epidemiologists at Yale who um, say that 68,000 people lose their lives a year. Um, or let's say that if we had a Medicare for all single payer system, that would save 68,000 lives. Um, and a huge cost savings. Yeah. That's what we need. We we need. We have so many times talked to economists who are afraid to do the analysis of Medicare for all because it's a huge program. There are a lot of unknowns, right? And it, 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 it and politically, you're putting yourself way out on a limb. You're 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 basically asking to be attacked. And people who have done that work have been attacked. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you remember in 2016, Clinton had all of the, you know, Council of Economic Advisors all over the Sanders campaign on this issue. But these epidemiologists and people like them putting these kinds of studies out that show, you know, what the cost savings would be and what the savings in, in terms of human life would be, I think, you know, we, we need to be waving that banner all over the place, but those guys need to be on TV. You know, we need to really show people that this is possible. Um, and I think that, you know, the other really important talking point with this is um, 
how many insurance plans do we have? What are the administrative costs? And then, you know, the big the big talking point, which is look at the profit making off of this system. What what are the CEOs at these major insurance companies making? Look at these pharmaceutical giants, tens of millions of dollars, you know, with these drugs that are the, the prices are so inflated, you know, that people have to ration, they have to cut their pills in half in order to you know, be, be able to get the medicine that they need. And, you know, that to me should be a basis of outrage. I mean, if these people are making that, that kind of money, right, well, of course the system is going to be expensive, right? And then, of course, there's the macro argument about the, the amount of money that the country spends on healthcare costs compared to what other countries spend. Other countries with wonderful health systems right. spend aren't less. spending nearly as much. Well, that uh, seems to be the yeah. most obvious example. Another, yep. another yeah. As to how much money could be saved. Because okay. we're, we're spending close to 20%. Right. Yeah, it's GDP. going up too. It's expected right. to be whereas, like 30%. Well, we're, we're, whereas most countries don't spend beyond 13 or 14%. We're, we're less than 5% of the world's population, although we consume over 26% of the energy. So, I mean, it gives you an idea. And, of course, the health care, what we get in terms of quality health care for the money expended is very much below the norm of the advanced nations by far. I, I mean, yeah. I think another way of looking at this, too, though, would also be, uh, it's my understanding the Lancet article said that this would save close to $450 billion a year which is considerable cost savings, which is about yeah. one half of the defense budget. But it seems to me if it could be articulated in a more, you know, kind of totality of what is being spent on defense, what is being spent, yeah. you know, on the prison systems yeah. and why this is a, a real bonanza, you know, in some ways and really is about people's life you know, uh, people's lives as well as about, you know, the, the, uh, the, 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 the life force, not about, you know, the death drive as in the Defense Department's budget, which is, you know, mostly technology and, uh, and um, uh, you know, of course, weapon heads, uh, you know. Made and by the profit way. making yeah, in that, yeah, in that right. industry course, too, course, right? People of skimming of off of right. devastation and right. despair. Right. People skimming off of, you know, or exploiting illness. I mean, this is this has become the American way. That's why Bernie, I think, is so threatening because he wants to break all of that up in every single part, right? In the fossil fuel companies, the healthcare companies, pharmaceutical companies, the defense industry. All of these people have been getting rich off of the backs of everyday people. That's what this campaign is all about: is busting that up. And, you know, so, of course, they, they throw everything at us. But, you know, Medicare for all is the big one, really. That's the one that they find to be the most threatening. And I just, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, the the, the, the lobbyists are, I mean, they're, well, they're so seem powerful. to go hand in hand with the Green New Deal as well. I mean, that this yeah. is something under the, you know, the general category of health for the population, health for citizenry, you know, as, as a man. You know, and and it, would, it would cost. Make America healthy again. It would it, right, it would right. be a, a defeat yeah, yeah, for the pharmaceutical right. industry and for a lot of the medical providers in terms of how much money they make. But it would be a gain for most other enterprises right. because, I mean, you know, right. most of the big corporations now are saddled with the problem of of maintaining the health yeah. healthcare benefits yeah. for their employees. Yeah. And wages yeah. stay stagnant, as you know. You know, every time we have a contract negotiation, it seems, one of the issues is, well, we have increasing right. health care costs, so we can't 
increase your salaries or we want you know you to kick in more money towards the healthcare. The post-World War II Japanese and German automobile manufacturers, why did they make better cars? Why did they show profits in a different way and workers got a fairly decent living wage? Because the healthcare was taken care of by the state. They didn't have yeah. that ever on the negotiating table, and that's this, at least in my union experience in academia, takes up you know at least fifty to sixty percent of the time at the table. Yeah, you know, yeah. how we're going to pay and for the healthcare. Yeah, I'll say this too that we, when I was with the senator in the budget committee, we um, set up a meeting with him with a group of small business owners, a consortium of small business owners who support Medicare for all. And, it, you know, small business is the language of conservatives, right? We, we have to preserve all of these tenets of capitalism on behalf of the small business owner, when in fact, right, it's really the, the gigantic multinational corporations who are benefiting, but they use the ideology of small business. And yet it's exactly like what you said, Peter. I mean, small businesses stand to gain big from Medicare for all. They can barely export, you know, afford to pay for health care for their employees. Right. And for and, themselves oftentimes and for themselves. What's that? And for themselves oftentimes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so there have been these a couple of people, big, large business owners, you know, people whose companies are worth maybe like tens of millions, not huge, mm -hmm. who've come forward um, and and said, you know, we support Medicare for all be precisely because of that. And of course, you know, we have one of the um, the co-chairs, you know, the, the campaign has a co-chair committee. So there's sort of these four advisors to the senator. Um, and one of them is. Ben Cohen of Ben and Jerry's and Ben Cohen and a group of his um, associates in the you know business world have gotten together and you know there's all kinds of layers right they're very environmentally conscious and Ben and Jerry's have done all kinds of stuff in the state of Vermont but the Met, that is one perhaps one of the most important constituencies in trying to convince people of the merits of Medicare for all because they tend to be not not Ben, but they tend to be more conservative, in the, in the small business owners. So you win them over, you've won a big chunk of, you know, or at least you've dispelled, uh, you know, some of the ideologies that, that get in the way. And, and one could also make the argument that you could be, bring manufacturing jobs back to the United States if the employers did not have to pay, you know, for health care. Yep. And that's a, a big bonanza to maybe bringing back home, you know, the, you know, some of the, some of the labor, some, some yeah. potentially. potentially, that's all. Yeah, it's just, just a thought, you know, where you can take this if you go on Fox News and say, well, think about it this way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he has done that. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't gone to Fox News regularly, but he did do that town hall. Right. right. In Pennsylvania. I mean, it's, it seems more and more obvious that there's a lot of discontent a lot of dissatisfaction and a lot of that energy gets challenged into uh, the campaign, you know, the Bernie Sanders campaign. And it seems to me that if in fact there is a brokered convention, which is very likely at this point, and Bernie is not nominated, it does not get the nomination, um, and people, s becomes more obvious that electoral means of trying to seek uh, uh, some redress for these problems are, are, are futile. 
do you think it's possible that then, you know, that the, the levels of discontent become much more uh, 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 acute? And rather than things being mediated through n normal uh, uh, political uh, institutions and elections and so forth, things become more and more conflictual to the point where, because as you see, people now are worried that there'll be guillotines in Central Park and so forth. Uh, would this be a, a movement towards a more uh, direct confrontation between uh, 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 the, these groups? I, I will say this, beginning with the brokered convention, I believe that there is a number that, that, that if we pass over that threshold, and I don't know what that number is, yeah. I don't know, 50 delegates, 100 yeah. delegates or whatever, that if they deny him the nomination, there is a good chance that all hell will break loose in the Democratic Party. Right. Um, yeah. the, there are a lot of people still smarting from 2016 and the shenanigans that the party played. They don't like the fact that they changed the rules that Bloomberg was allowed on the stage. Yeah. Some of the stuff in Iowa have raised eyebrows, you know, that their people are sick of the party playing games and if bernie goes in and there's like a 10 delegate differential or something like that my guess is that if he doesn't win people will walk away and say okay but if he is up a couple hundred delegates or something like that and they kick those super delegates in and take it away from him I don't think that the party will survive right. I do right. not think that that will any longer be a mechanism through which people who you know aren't conservative or on on the right will be able to realize their politics. Now, whether independent parties will rise out of that, I don't know. If well, there will be alternative electoral yeah. forms, yeah. Yeah. Mm. you know, there, there. I think you do. To quote Stanley Aronowitz, I think the left does have to have an electoral strategy, mm -hmm. but I think that we're going to see, you know, Chicago. Uh, convention type yeah. stuff if they screw them over um so i'm just hoping for a clean win yeah. because uh, otherwise Frankly, i think that i can't the see them winning i can't see a democratic nominee winning if it's that kind of a process and yeah. you demobilize yeah. so much of of uh the people who are now you yeah. know uh, mobilized you know through the, the sanders campaign on, yeah on, on yeah. the level of uh you know just a more mediated view i mean of course we all know about uh how much um uh, uh, extreme discontent there is out there, you know, and uh, et cetera, and what hell would break loose if this was a brokered convention that really screws Sanders over again, especially, you know, as the leading candidate. The, the question, at least to my mind, is there preparations for a third party? Is there an electoral strategy or at this point, or we don't really say this at this point, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. And what would that do? I mean, you know, is that is that would be something towards the future within the system of electoral politics, where you at least would have a new party, whatever you call it, progressive party, you know, social democratic yeah. party or, or whatever on the scene. You know, I mean, we know the last time this happened with any kind of force was Perot, who got Clinton elected, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. before that, I mean, on the progressive level, it was uh, George, you know, the Secretary of Agriculture who ran against Truman and Dewey in 48. 
uh, you know, when a progressive really got still over a million votes. So, I mean, this to me is a question that's raised in a sense because, you know, the left does not have any kind of party apparatus, you know, you know, I mean, Stanley, of Hopefully course, says in some have place, a, like in Vermont, there's a progressive strategy, party. but, you know, is there, is there talk of that if this happens again, would that be, a, you know, a, 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 a possibility? There is not talk of that okay. in the context of this campaign. And I okay. think the reason why is because I think the campaign wants it to be crystal clear that we are trying to win the nomination, the Democratic Party right. nomination. Right. Okay. Um, and, and, I, and I don't think that he is the type to threaten, you know, well, right. find him, throw a grenade mm -hmm. in the situation by running third party because he know you know, we know that that, that, that will that Trump will win, you know, in that in that kind of situation. Now, do I think that he would spend time helping to cultivate a third party or a progressive party? I mean, in Vermont, there's a real progressive party that he, you know, has fostered. Um, and I do think that I think that the question is perhaps better posed to people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who really is the future of a left electoral politics. And if she devoted herself to helping to build a third party, that would be a place where Sanders people could go. Um, I don't see him in, you know, I, I could see him supporting that, but I don't see that that's not the project before. Right. No, I understand. I'm just, I, mean, I just yeah. was working with uh, hypothetical givens, uh, you know, at, the, yeah. uh, at yeah. the end of the journey. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, and, you know, in terms of the brokered convention, um, I mean, the, yeah, it's likely going to happen. I think, I think that it also, um, a variable that we didn't sort of hit upon yet was, well, if not Bernie, then who, right? And I do think that there are some candidates who Bernie people would could stomach, and there are some candidates who they absolutely cannot. And Michael Bloomberg would be one of the people who is 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 just I I mean, knowing the sort of tenor of the of the supporters, I just don't see them no. um, voting for him. Um, the Pete Buttigieg is probably to a degree the same. You start getting closer with Biden because he has some appeal among working class people. And then Elizabeth Warren, I think there, there are a good number of people who would support her right. and wouldn't have a problem with her being it, the nominee. Most, most, but, most of the candidates have and their supporters would not be crazy about Bloomberg, even though he's not doing horribly right. in the polls. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of the interesting thing about his entry. So, you know, I think there, there are grades of what could happen at mm -hmm. the convention. Mm -hmm. But if it's, if it's Buttigieg or, or, or Bloomberg, I think is going to be really not a good result for the Democratic Party. Oh, right. Well, I mean, and, you know, oh, and wait, wait, wait. Yeah, and then no, there's a, mm -hmm. then there's talk of, of bringing in John Kerry or some general or something like that. Maybe There's Wesley discussion Clark, about the Democrats identifying Kosovo. someone completely right. who hasn't even run. Right. Or Hillary Clinton. That Hillary is Clinton. really not going to go Hillary well. Clinton. Yeah. <laughs>
that's really not going to go well. <laughs> right, right, right. So, I mean, going back to what you mentioned earlier, 1968, the Democratic uh, Convention, I mean, in my mind, retrospectively, that, that may have been the end of the Democratic Party standing for anything. Because if you yeah. really look at what happened since 68, you know, uh, you've had nothing but a, a strategy that's failed in terms of national politics. The Republicans took over the Southern strategy. The only time it worked was when they ran someone from the South, from Arkansas, Clinton, right? And, uh, you know, you basically have had changed the discourse to a Nixon hyphen, you know, Reagan hyphen now Trump you know, style discourse, which has been controlling the, 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 the narrative ever since 68 in many ways, if you really, yeah, yeah. So I, I think this is a year of where it's it's really, you you either move forward in this party with principles and that Bernie Sanders, to me, as you pointed out earlier, is honest, full of integrity, really cares, et cetera, is a model, you know, probably the best model that the Democratic Party has since, you know, Bobby Kennedy, you know, in, in a sense, when Bobby Kennedy at least stood up for the civil rights movement, you know, and had tremendous support among the Afro-Americans as well as, you know, a lot of the working class. So in a way, the symbol of the Democratic Party as it is, as separate or some kind of difference from the Republican Party is uh, very much at stake in my mind here. You know, I mean, from the yeah. you know, traditional historical point of view, not, not especially only from a, you know, from a left point of view. I think too that in in keeping with what you're saying that one of the interesting dimensions of him aside from the fact that the politics that he represents and how as you're pointing out that's been pretty much non-existent um, for decades because he has this appeal because of where he is on the political spectrum and because of his temperament and all of that I you know, he attracts huge numbers or not huge, but large numbers of independent voters. And it's my understanding that the electorate is become, you know, sort of 30% Republican, 30% Democrat, and the middle, all of these undecided independents who don't want to identify with either one of the party, they lean in a certain direction, but they can lean the other way. And that's one of the things that I think he has brought to Democratic Party politics that that is, you know, I, I wish that the party would acknowledge this more, that there are people who, first of all, some of them would go to the Republican Party or even voted for Trump, that Bernie was their first choice. Then there are these people who sort of left leaning but disaffected with the Republic or the Democratic Party. So they identify as independents. So you can win the independence, you win the race. Right. And I don't see any of the other candidates having the appeal to these non-party affiliated voters. Um, and I think that has a big potential to build the party and to, and to revitalize it, recreate it into something else. Good. Good. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he should get that 30% that's already been with the Democratic Party. And then we're in business, huh? <laughs> shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah, shoulda, coulda, woulda, right? Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you have another, um, you know, thought here? I have the, many. I yeah. don't know how much time. Yeah, I mean, how much time do we have? We have uh, time. Yeah, a little, uh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it seems in some ways that 2008 was uh, really the, the opportunity for, for significant reforms in, in the United States. There was the financial crisis. You know, the banks were in trouble. They were ready to accept more or less any kind of, of plan that would have come out. Now the situation is very much different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so one question is, presupposing the everything goes well and Bernie Sanders is, is elected as president, what are some of the, 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 the strategies maybe that can be used to really get a lot of the resistance to these policies, to get the other side to capitulate and accept some of these reforms? Because that seems to be one struggle is winning the election, obviously. Another is then actually getting the policies uh, through. Yeah, I mean, I think there's at this stage two answers to that. The first is to try to impact local races and the constitution of the Congress. Um, and in 2016, he started some of that work of cultivating. Um, lo more local level politicians, Ocasio came out of, right. you know, the Sanders experience. Um, and so there's been some really strong efforts to do that in our revolution had, had been endorsing candidates and doing that kind of stuff. Um, but so that's one piece of it is trying to grow a new crop of, um, people who are interested in getting involved in elected office. And, and there have, there are some really amazing people out there that kind of came out of the 2016 stuff. Um, the, the other issue, and this is the answer that I've seen him give and actually do is, um, is trying to go into, um, into communities and, talk to them straight about some of the issues um, and galvanize, right, uh, support. And what I mean by that is, you know, for example, when the Republicans had come up with, I don't know, a dozen or two plans to replace Obamacare, I was working in the budget committee while this was happening, and this was very dramatic time um, to be working there. Well, we got on a plane and flew to West Virginia, Pittsburgh, Ohio. After that trip, he took another trip to Kentucky. And, you know, he uses the example of Kentucky because when he was on the ground in Kentucky, he talks to people about their health care, talks about what they're not getting, you know, talks about the minimum wage, talks about jobs. And when through those experiences, he found that people actually agree with a lot of the policies. Um, and once you have that, then, then, and in the case this happened during the Obamacare stuff, people show up at the town halls of Mitch McConnell or whoever else, and they pressure them. And in some cases, that, that, that particular moment, there were enough Republican officials to vote against the repeal of Obamacare, that we had a minor victory in saving you know, all of the people, basically the healthcare of all the people who rely on Medicaid, because they were going to cut Medicaid pretty much entirely. Um, but I mean, and you know that we only won that by one vote. But the point being that, you know, he's in, in my understanding and, and observation is that he has prepared 
to go into communities and talk to them about the merits of these plans and what they really would mean for them in their for their material existence and in hopes of of influencing people to vote differently or to pressure their lawmakers to make different decisions when bills come up. Um, so it's a very grassroots kind of approach. Um, you know, a lot of people have said that's that's pie in the sky and, and you know, whatever. But, I mean, we've got millions of people who are, are, who are volunteering and donating I, I, I to our campaign. What you're, uh, what you're bringing up is really a, 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 a kind of sea change in American politics since Clinton. The idea of permanent campaign is, is displaced by the permanent discussion of issues and what's yep. needed. You know, so in, in other words, not going to rallies, not going to, you know, put your face out there. You're actually there to engage on the level of issues, which is the way yep. a, a body politic should be built from the ground up. We, we, I think yep. we're all in agreement about this. Is that a critique of Trump's rallies? Oh, I, 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 kind of just ironically. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, or meeting with donors, right, you know, in back doors or in wine caves or whatever. Right. trying to make sure that you're going to have enough money to to run for president. I mean, that's how a lot of the Democratic Party is operated, too, yeah. as opposed to going on the ground with, you know, working people and talking to them about about their needs and right. building consensus or building, right. you know, support from the people who, you know, and engaging people in the political process, not just electoral, in, in terms of, of running for office, but voting. Um, and Bernie you does know, not play that. golf. That should be emphasized. What's that? Bernie, Bernie does doesn't play, play golf. golf. Peter's got that a finger against the game of golf and tennis. Now, he you likes and I play tennis, Heather, and so he likes we're, 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 yeah. We'll, yeah, right, right, exactly. But he's not going yeah. to spend his weekends playing golf. <laughs> so no, yeah. oh no, yeah. stick so, maybe. Right. So <laughs> I, yeah, I want to I want to thank you very much for being with us. We don't want to take up all your time. We can go on for hours and hours, as you know. <laughs> uh, but I'd like to have you on again because we didn't really discuss foreign policy at all. So maybe the closer we get, we can talk about what kind of you know foreign policy may we be seen here how would it be different than you know the past uh, you know um, you know uh, attempts and you know that's something that doesn't really come up much around Sanders it's still been domestic the Green New Deal the Medicare for all these kind of things as, as you know right so yeah he's been getting deeper yeah. and deeper okay um, with Yemen and Israel, Palestine, and right. Iran. He's had some right. very interesting, you know, successes in the in the world of foreign policy and going much deeper than than he had um, in 2016. And, uh, and, and yeah, and yeah, he's right. been working much more. He's Good. got some great people, uh, and uh, yeah, I think there's a lot more to talk about there. And okay. I think the left is going to be really happy with. The foreign policy that, that that Sanders would, you know, the, the the kind of stuff that he'll do. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> well, we look forward to you becoming uh, the Secretary of Edu uh, of Education, the Education oh, Secretary. Uh, We're looking forward to putting Betsy DeVos out to <laughs> to good pasture or to that, you yeah. know, <laughs> well, in jail. maybe her brother's right. boot camp. But anyway, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be good here. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much, and uh, yeah, 
and uh, great to see you. And uh, the best of luck. Too. And, and we'll we'll do what we can in New York. We're we're certainly supportive on the on the level of uh, strategy going forward. Uh, completely behind the Sanders campaign. There is a war between the rich and poor, a war between the man and the woman. There is a war between the ones who say there is a war and the ones who say that there isn't. Why don't you come on back to the war that's right, get in it.